All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Here we are for episode one, kind of, of season four. I'm Andrew Drozdak. I am one of your co-hosts of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. I am joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, the now somewhat cool Thomas Bowen. Bowen, how we doing, buddy? Somewhat cool. I, I will take that. You know, it's, it's the week started off a little rough, had some HVAC issues, which is something you never want when you're in the, the balmy south that we are. But, man... I got got my my AC fixed. House is nice and frosty, just the way that I and the boss likes it. But let me tell you something. Speaking of frosty, we have got a deal for you. I can't believe most people still buy their ice at a convenience store. They charge almost $3 for a seven pound bag. If you remember back in the day, we used to buy plenty of ice in college, right? You know? Sure, absolutely. Bags, those bags used to be 10 pounds and they were eight. Now they're only seven pounds. And usually when you get them from a convenience store, it's one solid block of ice. You got to bust it on the ground. You get dirt all in your cooler. Why pay that when you can get a 16 pound bag or 20 pounds dumped straight in your cooler for only $2.50? These machines are conveniently located around the Columbia area, including Chapin, Irmo, St. Andrews, West Columbia, downtown, even Eastover for those folks coming to town for a game from the Sumter and PD area. But wait. We've got a special offer for you, our listeners. You can get one bag absolutely free. When you're standing at the machine, just text the word AVERAGE to the large yellow phone number with a bag slide out. It's super cool. Try it out for your next tailgate. Participating locations can be found at tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice. Hit it up, get your free ice, and get ready for that tailgate. Yeah, man, that is super cool, pun intended, fantastic dad joke, if you were listening there. Uh, So I opened up our show today by saying it's sort of episode one of season four. That's because episode one of season four is in the archive, but I can't get it loaded. Rookie mistake through season four is kind of unacceptable, but still learning this system here. But anyway, we are back on. We'll save We'll save, we'll save that B-roll footage for when they do the behind the podcast episode on us 30 years from now. That's right. That's right. On VH1. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, the good thing is we, we got a practice round in. We kind of we had a little scrimmage there. We had a little preseason game. And now we're ready. We're primed. And it's time for week one, Thomas. And the Gamecocks are traveling to Charlotte to take on the UNC Tar Heels at 730 and we are excited to talk about that today. Anybody new to the show, what makes our pod different? Well, quite simply, we believe we go deeper than anyone else when it comes to scheme, when it comes to strategy of college football, and explaining it in a way that people can understand. So that's why we call ourselves the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Thomas and I both played high school football. We coached the game. Really, we've been obsessed with the game our entire lives. I used to stay up late or record the old ESPN NFL matchup show and with Jaws and Merrill Hodge, and they would break down scheme, and it was my favorite thing to ever watch. I wish I still had those old tapes. But anyway, that's what we do here that we make we feel like is slightly different. Most of the time, we look at those things through the lens 
of our favorite football team, the school that Thomas and I both graduated from, the University of South Carolina. So this week, we are going to be talking about the Gamecocks versus the Tar Heels. And Thomas, I, I saw somewhere online that of the last nine times the Tar Heels and the Gamecocks have played, South Carolina has won seven of those. And each of those wins were by 10 or more points. That sounds sounds about right. I'm thinking back to to a couple. Yeah, there there were some tight ones there, particularly back in the mid alts. But yeah, that sounds about right. So I mean, that's your half ass internet research for the day. <laughs> uh, but so again, the way the show runs is I talk offense. I played and coached offense. Thomas talks defense. So I will start us off talking about the South Carolina offense versus the UNC defense, and then Thomas will take us from there. Then we'll take a quick look around college football. So Thomas. Here's the great thing, if you're a Gamecock fan, that is coming into this season. We have a new offensive coordinator. Praise be. We say that as a good thing because Nebraska is going to find out soon what the Marcus Satterfield experience of paralysis by analysis is like to watch. And it is going to be a struggle for the Cornhuskers. And it is going to be something that all Gamecock fans are going to be happy we no longer see. Of course, that will only be if Dowell Loggins, or D'Lo as he's called, is going to be very the exact opposite of what that was. We heard that Marcus Satterfield had this NFL offense and it was going to do this and it was going to do that. And at the end of the day, it was just too much. Our players were overwhelmed. They didn't know their own playbook. Guys on our team who had podcasts last season's talked about this and how they didn't know what was going on. Daryl Loggins, D'Lo, has an NFL experience, but he's also been in the college game and he's learned and seen, hey, what we did in the league and what we do in college is different. So you're not going to see some of those pro tendencies, quote unquote. I do think you're going to see varying speeds. I'm going to talk in a second here about Spencer Radler, quarterback for South Carolina, and his press conference that I watched yesterday. But one of the things he mentioned, they asked him in his press conference, you know, what's the speed of this offense? Is it a fast-paced offense? Is it a huddle offense? What is it? And he said, and I love this statement, we can go as fast or as slow as we need to. And I was like, well, that's freaking awesome. Because as much as everybody loves nowadays the fast, you know, four or five wide shotgun, no huddle, hustle up to the line, catch the defense off guard, offense, that is great when it's working. But when you run three plays and you get no yards and you got a punt and the defense had no time to rest, ain't going to go so well at the end of the day. Sometimes you just need to bleed clock. And so it sounds like we have the ability to do both. We have the ability to huddle up, call a play. We have the ability to call the play from the line. We have all those things going on. So I'm excited about that. Let me go back to Spencer Rattler. I watched his press conference last night on YouTube with my dad. And here's the thing I'm going to say about that kid. Last season, when you watch his press conferences, It was a show, in my opinion. It was very much a, hey, let me show you how cool I am. Like, you know, I'm I'm up here to show you that I'm this guy. This dude was a different cat. He was serious. His answers were direct. And he the whole time had this look of like, I've got more important stuff to do than sit here and talk to y'all. I need to be watching film. I need to be working with my wide receivers. It was an intensity, Thomas. It wasn't a nervousness. It wasn't an annoyance. It was just... I got work to do, guys. Like, I got to go do this work. It wasn't like, let me show you how cool I am. He still had that swagger. 
he's still wearing his big his necklace with his big seven on there and the, and the snake symbol, which I love. I think that's great. He's still, you know, he's still himself, but he's a very focused individual right now, in my opinion, at least in that press conference that I saw. You know, and Thomas, I, I texted you about this last night. One of the things he mentioned during the press conference that, I mean, I just absolutely loved, he mentioned an acronym, and I wasn't clear if it's something that quarterbacks talked about or they talk about in the quarterback room or it's the whole offense, but the acronym is RCE. And Thomas, that stands for recognize, communicate, execute. I love that because what we're looking at there is Spencer saying that it's the team's job or the quarterbacks. I'm not sure. Again, I don't know if that's for everybody or just the QBs. But essentially what we're talking about there is when he says recognize, he means pre-snap. We got to recognize what the defense is doing. Did they come out in a formation or an alignment that we weren't expecting? Did they come out in an alignment that is not going to be good for the play we have called? What? Where's the line? Are there four down linemen, three down linemen? Are they shaded to the weak side? To the strong side, is there a zero, a nose, a shade? Is it is it an even front? What are the backers doing? What kind of what kind of canopy are we looking at from the coverage level? Is it cover one with a safety in the middle of the field? Is it cover two or cover four potentially with safety split in the field? What are we seeing, and how does that impact what we're trying to do? That's the recognize. The C is communicate. And that can be through signals or just calls that, hey, we got to shift something. They got an off, they've got a defensive lineman that we weren't expecting or edge rusher that we weren't expecting. We need to shift our block protection. And I, I hope, Thomas, I sincerely hope that's the center's job. I don't want our quarterbacks having to do that this year. But shifting, you know, when I played high school ball, when I coached it, that was a simple, if you were playing left tackle and you had an extra man over there, we might just say, man left, man left, meaning I got an extra man out here. We got to shift our slide. to I got to account for that. Or it could mean, hey, back, you're supposed to be checking first threat. Go ahead and take your eyes over to the outside because this is where we got an extra man. And it could be that the safeties are up. Their linebackers are showing blitz. And then the next, so you got to make sure you communicate that so everybody is on the same page. Then when the ball snapped, it's about everybody knowing their job and executing it. That's where we get into what Delo's offense is, what we are hoping and have been told it is, that our players understand it. Thomas, if you go to the line of scrimmage as a quarterback and you see something you don't like, Typically in the college game, a lot of times you'll see a quarterback get up there, say, huh, just to see if the defense shifts, look over to the sideline, get a signal, change the play or run the play, whatever the case may be. In the NFL, it's audibles, whatever. But sounds like Spencer has a lot of free reign. He talked about being able last night to, when I watched, being able to reach into his bag of plays. What that tells me is, We've got plays off of plays, Thomas. If we are deciding, hey, we're going to come out here, we want to hit that middle left piece of the field from the hash to the sideline in a mid-range passing concept, but they're playing, they're sitting there at cover three, that's not going to work for us. We need to adjust that. We need to adjust that play call. And Spencer has the ability to make that adjustment. So an audible, for fans who maybe are unfamiliar with that term, an audible means the quarterbacks come to the line and he, there was a play called either through signals or in the huddle. He gets to the line of scrimmage and says, okay, we can't run that. He recognizes there's something wrong with trying to run that, and he flat out changes the play. If it could have been an outside zone left, they've got an overhang over there. That isn't. We don't have good numbers to that side. I'm changing it to a pass because we're, we're outnumbering back here. 
then there's a check. And Thomas, a check could be in that situation I just mentioned, hey, instead of going zone left, we're going to call an opposite and we're going to go zone right. And so that could be something as simple as calling out orange, orange. Used to hear Peyton Manning, although I think this was a coverage call, but Omaha, Omaha, something that signals opposite. So it could be anything on that. Now, sometimes in the NFL, Thomas, and I don't know if we're going to be doing this, they will call two plays in the huddle. And you have a run play and a pass play. Run play is typically first. Quarterback gets up to the line of scrimmage, looks, okay, do we have the numbers that we need to run that play? No, we don't. He'll get up and go, kill, kill, kill. And that means we're not running that first play anymore. We're running play number two. And it all depends on what Loggins is doing. It's going to be super interesting, Thomas, because he's never done this at the college level. We have never seen a D-low offense. And I think we're going to see varying speeds, but also varying styles of play. I expect our running game, which we're going to talk about in just a second, to be varied. I, I see zone concepts. I see power concepts. Well, we maybe even have two backs in the backfield, one back. I, I think that's going to be interesting to watch. I think where he is going to be smart, in my opinion, with his experience at quarterback and, and as a player and as a coach, is he knows we can't overwhelm the quarterback with 8 million concepts. If, if the concept we called isn't going to work, we, he needs to know I'm going to plan B, and this is what plan B is. And so I expect to see, again, varied schemes there. Simple though. Now, one of the things, one of the things, let me jump in uh, about this, this RCE. One of the things that really stands out to me that I really like about this and I think is, is really key here is communicate, communicate, yep. because you think if you look back to last season, to some of the Satterfield offenses, there were <clears throat> more, more than, more than a handful of times where, you could tell the communication was not there between Rattler right. and the wide receivers or Rattler and, and the running back. Sometimes we would have a wide receiver running an option route. What we mean by an option route is, hey, this wide receiver is, is going to run one of two routes, and he's either going to break this route off inside and cut it short, or he's going to take it deep to the end zone, depending on how that defensive back is playing him. The kicker with an option route is your quarterback – and your wide receiver have to see the same thing. They have to communicate to each other. They have to know what they're doing. There were plenty of times where a receiver broke a route off too soon for an option route. Spencer thought he was running a post to the corner, and it was overthrown or, God forbid, intercepted. So I think communicate here is, is key, and I think it's really going to pay massive dividends for this offense. I agree 100%. And I think, Thomas, and you and I, that's I mentioned the whole center quarterback calling the, the, the blocking schemes. We saw that a lot in the past two years, where there was almost arguments between the quarterback and the center of what are we doing. Like who should be blocking who? The quarterback does have, in a lot of situations, a better viewpoint than the center of what the defense is doing. But he's also trying to break down the like all those other things I mentioned. What are the linebackers doing? What are the DBs doing? You know, what do we need to do? That's a lot to process. That's a lot to think about. So I want that responsibility on the center. Now, you know, if they do it the other way and it works, that's great. But you're exactly right. And I think it comes down to Thomas also we've heard a lot D'Lo is involving his players, particularly Spencer Radler in building this offense. There's a quote, Thomas, that Benjamin Franklin has. It says, if you tell me, I'll forget. If you teach me, I'll remember. If you involve me, I'll learn. And I think by involving these players and Spencer in particular, he knows it 
better. He's more engaged. It's not force feeding him something. And I think Loggins has talked to him and set it with him in film rooms and say, Hey, in this situation, when we get this alignment, what are you comfortable with? What, what concept makes you comfortable as a quarterback? Because ultimately at the end of the day, the quarterback needs to feel comfortable. If they're running cover two, and you got a play on that's not great cover two beater, he needs to be able to check into to another play and feel confident. I know what I'm doing. So that's a big piece. And, Thomas, we talked about this last week, and, of course, nobody heard it but you and I. When players have to think, they are slow. Mm-hmm. When you have to stop and think about what you're doing, you are slow. And I want to touch on something you just said because Shane Beamer mentioned this <laughs> in his press conference. When you watch a play on live sometimes, it can look like a complete and total you-know-what. And really, it can be as simple as one guy messing up. You just mentioned that. If the if there was an adjustment on a route and the wide receiver doesn't know it and the quarterback thinks he does, all of a sudden you get this interception that everybody's going, who in the world was he throwing it to? And so, but what we don't understand is somebody, quarterback, wide receiver, missed a simple signal. And, you know, that was what screwed up a play. One guy. And on offensive line, it can be as simple as footwork. I'm expecting to have a slide protection call. My footwork's different for that than it is drop back through cut protection. And as an offensive lineman, those are some big boys. Momentum is momentum. You start going in one direction, it's tough to get that that big old body going another way. So let's talk running game, Thomas. DK Joiner, one of my all-time favorite people and Gamecocks, just because how he represents our university, how he represents himself. He is at his third position at Carolina. He is beefed up to 229. Is that the right number? I think that's right. Uh, uh, put on some good weight. Put on some good weight. He's ready. You know, the coaches seem to be quietly optimistic about what he can do. Thomas, I think you and I can both agree. Dak Joyner in an open field with the football in his hands is a dangerous football player. Would you Absolutely. agree with that? Absolutely. So, I think I think we've been saying that since the beginning. He's got to be able to get the ball, put the ball in his hands. He's one of those guys that you want to get him the ball any way you can. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So if he can get the ball in space, get through that line of scrimmage and, you know, make moves at that that linebacker DB level, he's making big plays. He's making big plays. That was the thing about him as a wide receiver. If he could get the ball in his hands on a route, he's going to make a big play. Very good. I've heard he's doing some kick returning as well. At quarterback, he was great with the ball in his hands at times. The biggest thing is, is he going to be able to be a structured runner? And, Thomas, what I mean by that is if we're running power right, then there's there's a designated area of the the offensive line is trying to open up a hole. And he's got to be patient in live action to let that develop. And that is a hard, hard skill to learn. As a scrambling quarterback and as a wide receiver who might get a ball on the end around or something like that, you don't have as much rules there. Now, in the zone scheme, it is a little bit more of, hey, the tidal wave of offensive linemen moving by me, what do I want to do? So that's good. The other thing you see a lot with these, a player of his type that has not played this position a lot, they want to bounce outside too often. They don't want to go in the tackles. Now, he showed in spring game he's willing to put his head down and go. It's just that tendency of thinking, oh, I see daylight, I'm going left. You know, and that linebacker's just sitting there waiting for you. So the other piece of that, Thomas, is going to be simply picking up blitzing linebackers. We're going to talk more here in a second 
about new NC's defense and in particular their their DB excuse me their D line and their linebackers which is their strength of a defense that isn't great but he's got to be willing to pick up stick his I hate to use Will Muschamp quotes but the best quote I've ever heard stick your face in the fan and like it and like he's got to be he's got to be willing to take that that hit and get Spencer a chance to throw it on a blitzing LB coming in there on that a gap blitz and so I think he's tough as nails. I don't I don't question his toughness. It's going to be a matter of technique and stuff like that. It's not a willingness thing. It's it's a recognition and technique and execution. Go back to RCE, executing the block correctly. While we're talking about blocking, the offensive line, Thomas, if you looked at our um our depth chart for this game, there was excuse me, there was a joke in Shane Beamer's press conference about the oars. There was a lot of ore. And particularly, the oars came in at offensive tackle. That's not a settled position for the Gamecocks right now. They aren't sure who their best tackles are. That can be very scary. Um, now, there's two ways to look at that. Optimistically, we got seven guys who can play ball for us. Pessimistically, we're not sure we have any good tackles. So that's – hopefully we're somewhere in the middle. Hopefully we're somewhere in the middle. But it's, you know – this is another wait and see situation. I think we know what we have in Spencer Rattler. But, think- and and wouldn't you agree? Would, would you agree that particularly with offensive line, I always look at offensive line unless unless you're returning five starters, guys that have played together their career. Anytime you have a shakeup on the offensive line, it takes some time for that group to gel together, probably more so than any other position or position grouping on the field. So to me, I look at it, uh, I guess, more of uh, not necessarily pessimistic, but not necessarily optimistic either. I think it's there's been plenty of times where we have ended up with really good, really solid to really good offensive lines, but it takes two to three games into the season to figure out the best rotation, to figure out what gels the best. Well, and so much, you're exactly right. So much of being an offensive line and a successful, cohesive offensive line is having that hive mindset. I got to know at left tackle, I got to feel comfortable with what my guard beside me does. You know, it's, it's as much as knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. If I know the guard beside me, he sort of struggles with a B-gap blitz and I want – so I'm going to have my eye out. Like, you know, I've got my man. I'm responsible for my thing. But sometimes it, for an offensive lineman, it could be as simple as getting your big paw out there and throwing a punch and checking a guy up to let that guard get underneath him. But yeah. that's not always a call. That's just knowing your your teammate, knowing the guy beside you. It's kind of like in basketball, you know, you see point guards and everybody throwing no-look passes. That's when they know their teammates are going to be there because they've played with them a lot. Kind of the same thing, this hive mentality of I know that my teammate beside me, he sort of struggles in this situation. I got to be ready to give him a little bit of help. Not a full on, hey, we got a call here. Just, hey, that's not his strength. I got to be ready to help him out. So, yes, you're exactly right. Experience and cohesiveness is so important on the offensive line. Let's switch gears quickly to the UNC defense. New defensive coordinator, Thomas, new defensive coordinator, same location. He was there in 2016, a name we're familiar with if you're an SEC football fan, formerly the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, a a, a national championship winning coach, Gene Chizik. Now he's been out of the game for a little while. He's been working at the SEC network. But, Thomas, you wouldn't know that by the salary he's being paid. Have I told you what Gene Chizik is making as the new DC in Chapel Hill? 
Yeah, and and also it brings you bring up a good point because uh, it, it's easy to forget about his time at, at Auburn, and it's easy to forget the embarrassment of riches that fell into his lap that was Cam mm-hmm. Newton and all that story for another day. But objectively, is Gene Chizik the worst head coach with a national title under his name? What about Larry Coker? Ooh, 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 that's 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 a good one, but but he's in that upper echelon, am I yeah. right? Oh, definitely, definitely. I think it's if we're looking at Mount Rushmore's, which is not a Mount Rushmore you want to be on, of bad coaches to win a national championship. I think he and Coker are definitely two of the four that that have that bust. Absolutely, and yeah. and so and and was he making as the DC at UNC now three point five million dollars? That's a lot of cheese. Seems like that's a reach, right? Because remember, yeah. he was there in 2016, and there were complaints about his lack of involvement, his lack of dedication. And I'll tell you this, Thomas, on a podcast known as the Day After Podcast, one of Carolina's insiders on the Carolina Inside 24-7 site, Jason Staples, was asked this question. Did he think Chizik was an upgrade at defensive coordinator after Jay Bateman, who was the quarter of the DC last year. This is his quote. Is it an upgrade? I don't think so. To be blunt, I don't think it's an upgrade at all. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. <clears throat> so anyway, let's talk about what he does. He runs a four, two, five, which is essentially Thomas. Would you agree with me when I say this? That's essentially the new four, three. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just – it's no longer anything creative about that. It's just the way yeah. we play football. I mean, you yeah. just – it's kind of like you don't see a fullback on offense. You're not going to see a third linebacker very often. Wish uh, you did, um, though. Yeah. Oh, I love both of those things. Absolutely. <laughs> Bring Mike Allstop back. Um, but this defense going to be 4 two, 5 A lot of even front, which in for our friends who are, are new to this podcast and maybe new to the game, that means the center is not covered up by a defensive line. That means he is free – uh, to to help with a, a defensive tackle to his left or right or a blitzing linebacker, whatever the case may be. That is the key there, Thomas, is that is different than what they did last year in Chapel Hill. Now yeah. let's be clear, let's be clear about something. Chapel Hill's defense last year was not good. It was uh, not good. Pretty damn bad, yeah. And so that's something to keep in mind. They didn't pull a Deion Sanders in Colorado and bring like 85 new guys in from the transfer pool. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's one of the things. Now, they are veteran up front, Thomas. Their four defensive linemen are all seniors. They're all, all starting seniors, which, you know, uh, not a, were they, they weren't great as juniors, so did they make a big leap in the offseason? Who knows? Um, the strength of this defense, Thomas, and you tell me if I'm wrong, from what I see on tape and what I'm reading, is their linebackers. 100%. They've got, they've got two really good linebackers. Particularly their best one is Cedric Gray. Who wears number 33 is their Will Backer, a senior, 6'3, 235. Last season had 144 total tackles, 82 solos. The Will linebacker, folks, means the weak side linebacker. He's going to be on the short side of the field. It's a little bit more free willing, and he can make, he gets to get in there and make tackles, which is why he had 144 of them last year. Did you say He's, 144 tackles? I did. 144. That is, that is very impressive. Tack four, uh, that's total tackles. Solos yeah. were 82. So that's impressive as well. That's impressive too. I double, I thought so too. I double checked it. I was like, is ESPN combining two people? But no, wow. it's, it's, uh, it seems to be accurate. Okay. Um, 
So it's going to be interesting. He's a very good player. Didn't have a whole lot in his career. Doesn't have a whole lot of sacks. He's a guy. He's a rover, in my opinion. He's out there to make plays and and tackle running backs close to the line of scrimmage, short passing routes, that sort of thing. He's there to be a stuffer, Um, not necessarily a pass rusher. See what I did there? Um, So he is somebody. We were talking about the R, Thomas. I'm gonna. I love this acronym so much. I'm gonna beat it like a dead horse. They are going to have to recognize where he is on the field, often, every play, and communicate it among the group. I guarantee there will be an alert by you know some kind of code word. <laughs> if it's red, if it's blue, because we're playing Chapel Hill, they're going to point out where he is. And when he's showing blitz or he's backing out, they're going to know. So he's a player to keep an eye on. Thomas, their defensive secondary, from what I could see last season, was really bad. Really bad. And so that should spell success for a very good receiving core, led by a now healthy Juice Wells. You have true freshman phenom Nick Harbour, who's apparently able to play. You have Leggett. You have... Trey Knox, transfer from Arkansas, tight end. You've got a lot of players there that are, you know, I guess what I'm trying to point out here, Thomas, is South Carolina's offensive strength plays right into UNC's defensive weakness. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I expect, just because I I kind of think this is the kind of guy he is as, as well, I expect a heavy passing play game plan from South Carolina this, you know, it's, Daryl Loggins, I, I watched his press conference before we started the show. He talked very much about – somebody asked him, what goes into your game planning? And he kept it very simple because he's not going to tell them the truth. But he said, it's all about it's all about taking our strengths and playing them into their weaknesses. Our strength is our wide receivers and tight ends and our quarterback. So their weakness is their defensive secondary. I see a lot – of mid-range passes, Thomas. If you, I don't know if you agree with me there. The five to seven-yard range, and then when they start sneaking up, you throw one over the top. But I, I want—I I imagine we want to get the ball in playmakers' hands in space early in the game to make these DBs make plays. What do you maybe, think about that? Maybe, maybe a little bit of the. Uh, I know you're a big fan of the OG West Coast offense, where the passing yes. game is essentially yes. an extension of your run yes. game. High percentage, low yeah. risk throws. And like you said, that that is going to get those linebackers to, to to loosen up a little bit, back up, not be shooting gaps as hard as, as they might want to. They're going to have to respect that. And I think, yeah, if, if I'm D'Lo, we're going to see we're going to see quite a bit of, of twelve personnel, meaning one mm-hmm. running back, two tight ends, maybe mm-hmm. even thirteen personnel. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got the tight ends to do it. And I think it could get creative too with those tight ends. When you say two tight ends, you you know you typically I always picture the Denver Broncos of the 1990s with the extra guys on the line. You, know, you could flare a Trey Knox out, put him in the slot. You know you can you know in the NFL right now it's all about condensed formations. I, I'd love to see a spread out. Give me a tight end out on the hash mark uh, from from away from the line of scrimmage because then the old swing pass that you can use with a very reliable receiver and DK can become very dangerous because now that's an extended sweep. That's a big play in the West coast style of play The you know, that is something that can be huge. I, I, you know, that's really big Thomas, my biggest X factor before I throw it to you to give us the rundown on South Carolina's defense, biggest X factor in the game for me. Are you ready? This is going to, this might surprise you, although uh, it may not because he's had 
a pretty good preseason camp. I'm not saying right. this guy's play is going to dictate the outcome of the game. I see him making flashes and big plays in big moments. Omega Blake. Omega. Rock, Omega from Rock Hill. I see Omega making plays. I've read a lot and see and heard a lot that he's the lights come on, as they say. He's made a lot of big plays in preseason. I'd love to see it translate, Thomas. All right, Thomas, jump into UNC's got the ball. We're trying to stop those boys. Why or how are we going to try and do that? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm quite excited to to see this. I'm quite excited to see <clears throat> some of the guys. I, I keep having to remind myself that that our brilliant episode from last week is is not for public <laughs> consumption. But you know, we talked about having guys back like Jordan Strawn at the edge, guys like Mo Kaba coming back from injury. Guys like Stone Blanton, who had to play a lot last year as a freshman. And we all know what kind of jump you can have from being a freshman to a sophomore year. The game slows down for you. He's apparently trimmed down some. He's gotten faster. He's put on some good weight at the same time. <clears throat> so guys like that. Um, and the, the back end of the defense, Nick Emanwari coming back, DQ Smith, freshman Jalen Kilgore, who I am very, very big on. And I could see Clayton White making a conscious effort to have DQ, Emanwari, and Kilgore on this field at the same time. It, it is rare to have a, uh, a true freshman in the secondary with significant playing time because you have so much to process. It, it's almost even more unheard of than true freshmen on the offensive line because oh, you yeah. have so much in front of you, so much to deal with. But everything I've heard out of camp that Jalen Kilgore has been lighting it up, it's like he's a seasoned veteran out there. Those are the guys I'm excited about. UNC's offense is going to be a little bit different this year. New offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey. Formerly uh, OC QB coach at Central Florida. Before that, he was the OC at, again, our good friends on the Plains and Auburn under Malzahn. And, of course, he went with Malzahn to Central Florida. Chip Lindsay, suffice to say, is a Malzahn disciple. We have talked about Malzahn a lot in the past, how he is a power spread Offense. He likes to spread it out, but his bread and butter is running between the tackles. I think I think you've explained to me before that Malzahn, whenever he started designing his offense, he based it off of the old wing T offense. So it's got a lot of those elements in it. You're going to see a, a lot of inside zone, outside zone with play action on it. He's going to use a lot of jet motion a lot of things that we call window dressing stuff that happens a lot of movement before the play. A lot of this is designed for a couple things. Number one, it's going to give your quarterback uh, a better look at, at what the defense is in, what kind of covers in, are they in man coverage? They're in zone coverage. It's also, it's also utilized a lot to, to confuse the defense. You, you're, you've got guys moving left and right all over the place. So it's really about assignment football, sticking to your guns there. Chip Lindsey uh, likes to use a lot of bubble screens on the perimeter. Bubble screens, we talk about bubble screens. Those are those to the perimeter where you might have trips out to the right. You've got three wide receivers. <clears throat> Excuse me, quarterback takes a snap, immediately hits one of the guys on the perimeter in a bubble screen. Um, Drake May, UNC's quarterback, hands down, fantastic, fantastic quarterback, legitimate Heisman hopeful, uh, one of the, the better – one of the best quarterbacks this defense is going to face all season. Um, looking at his protection up front, 
because it wasn't that great last year. In fact, Drake May was the leading rusher for the Tar Heels last year. That now, is amazing. That yeah, is amazing. Very much so. And and a lot of that uh, under former office of offensive coordinator Phil Longo, who has now moved on to Wisconsin, it wasn't so much design runs. This was him <clears throat> on his heels, hauling ass out of the pocket because he's Longo is an air raid power run game guy, a la uh, Lincoln Riley. He's not yes. trying to run his QB. Yes, you're absolutely right. And so the fact that, <clears throat> that Drake May was their leading rusher last year should tell you right there about their offensive line. That offensive line is – pretty much the same as last year. They're returning four out of their five offensive linemen. They picked up a transfer from Coastal Carolina. This kid is five foot 11, 290 pounds. That is a bowling ball. Yes, it is. But that is does not bode well for offensive line. No. Uh, the, there's a reason that most offensive linemen are in the 6'4 to 6'5 to 6'7 range. Yes. His arms are very short compared to the guys Ray he's Tanner trying to arms. block. Ray, Ray Tanner, T-Rex arms. arms. That yes. is going to be a problem. That I mean, it should be, in my opinion. Maybe he's an absolute stud. I could be completely wrong. But a 5'11", D1, Power 5 offensive lineman starting screams bad news for the quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, and here's the thing is that's – you know, if I'm if – I'm, if I'm coaching a, a zone blocking scheme at, at an app state or one of these smaller mid-majors, he's probably a great offensive lineman. That's probably why he was great for Jamie Chadwell at Coastal. But let's be honest, I don't care uh, how many points Coastal put up or, or what they did. Like that's it's a different, it's a different ball game. So I'm interested to see how that kid's gonna adjust. Uh lost their top two wide receivers from last year. Um, in terms of production, picked up two transfer receivers, McCollum from Georgia Tech, and then the big one that has been the talk uh, for the last couple of weeks, Tez Walker from Kent State, great wide receiver. Uh, currently, as it stands, his eligibility has been denied by the NCAA, as inept as they are, uh, regardless of who we're talking about. Are they still a thing? Is that still a thing? Apparently. Apparently okay. so. Right. Um, I don't really know. That. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, if I was a member institution, I would just quit paying my dues or, or, or whatever is applicable in that situation because they're a right. joke. They are appealing that appealing that eligibility decision. Um, as we have seen in the past umpteen years, sometimes that decision can come right before kickoff. He has been practicing with the team. They, of course, want him. Um, but again, I honestly don't think he's going to play. I did see a tweet earlier today. Somebody said UNC should just say, screw it and play him anyway. Honestly, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Cause as, as you said, what's the NCAA going to do? What are they going to do? What are they yeah, going to do? Yeah. A worst case scenario, what they, they vacate some wins. Who cares about vacating wins? That's the stupidest punishment I've ever heard of. Ever Nobody heard. gives a crap ever about that. Do you, do you not remember Southern Cal winning the national championship because they vacated that? Because like, oh, I still I, remember it. I, I very much remember, remember it. it. Yeah, yeah. And it, so do all of so do all of their fans, and so yeah. do all of the pockets that made money off of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's 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 a bit of a, an overview there uh, of their offense. Let I me interrupt think... you one more time, and then I'll, I'll stop. I promise. What you got? on this wide receiver situation? I bet you a beer. The next time we're together, he will get cleared to play. I'm going to say – I'm going to set the over-under at 5 p.m. 
on oh. five on game day, five p.m. We get a tweet or an ESPN alert that says the NCAA has cleared him to play immediately, starting with tonight's game. You taking the over or under or or a no go? No, I'll take the over because I don't think they're going to clear him. You think that he will be cleared by? I 5 think he'll be cleared before five p.m. on the on game day. I think he'll right. be cleared. I will take that bet, sir, right. and I will enjoy that beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, all of that said, here's my keys to the game here. Yep. Number one, pressure, pressure, but contain Drake May. Last year, North Carolina was 9-0 and when Drake May hit 63% or more of his throws. Now, they were 0-5 when he was lower than that. I mean – I get it. When you look at it, yeah, you would probably expect you're not going to win a whole lot of games when he's below 63%. Sure. Fun fact on that, last year, South Carolina's defense allowed merely three offenses to get to 60% passing. Now, nice. of course, the flip side of that is the, the run defense was so garbage for South Carolina at times last year, people didn't really have to throw the ball, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> right. So, as I mentioned earlier, Drake May, leading rusher, so it, it's kind of a – you don't want to totally flush him from the pocket. You want to contain those edges. You want to set the edge, as a lot of people like to say there. <clears throat> One of the things I'm looking for from South Carolina defense here is to make him uncomfortable. And one of the ways that you do that with quarterbacks like this, particularly when you've got an offensive line that may not be you know, a phenomenal offensive line is double mug pressures. We've talked about double mug pressures mm -hmm. before. And what we're essentially saying here is if, if you watch a defense pre-snap, you've got linebackers stepping up right into the A-gaps, right on either side of the center. And, and, they're, and they're leaning on it and they're ready to go. That is, that is double mug pressure, A-gap pressure. Now, a lot of times at the snap, those linebackers will bail, Sometimes they'll both come. Sometimes one will come. But the point is, it makes the quarterback think twice about his decision, his play call. You want the quarterback to see ghosts. You want him to exactly. see ghosts. Exactly. Exactly. You want him to see ghosts. So I'm looking for double mug pressure there from Clayton White. Now, another thing that a lot of people talk about is, and I've been guilty of this, and I've actually reversed course on this, was anytime you talk about a quarterback that has running – capabilities or or can can make you pay in the open field people always talk about putting a spy on the quarterback and we talk about a spy is you've got a, a player on the defense whether it's a linebacker or a safety whose sole job on that given play when they're in a spy defense is to spy the quarterback he's stepping up kind of where the linebackers are and he's following that quarterback he slides left he slides right he slides with him he's spying that quarterback i am no longer a fan of spying a quarterback and I had someone explain it to me recently, and it makes a whole lot of sense. If you're going to put a spy on a quarterback who's an athletic quarterback, you're going to need to use one of your more athletic back seven guys. Well, when you do that, you're essentially taking one of your defenders out of the play because his whole job is to spy that quarterback and prevent that quarterback from doing something that rarely happens anyway, unless it is a designed quarterback run where somebody's probably coming to block that spy anyway. So I don't like a spy. I think a better option here is robber coverage. We yes. briefly touched on robber coverage before, and there's a lot of different iterations, but one very, very dumbed down simplification of it is a cover one robber. Cover one robber. When we talk about cover one, whether we're talking about cover two, three, four, cover one means a single high safety. 
a cover one robber makes the quarterback think that it's cover two because it starts out, you've got two high safeties back there. However, at the snap, one of those safety rolls down to the middle of the field. That gives you more athleticism closer to the line of scrimmage to stop a quarterback scramble. But that robber is not spying. He's essentially in zone coverage. He's covering the middle of the field. So you're not spying the quarterback. You're not taking that defender out of the play. It's almost double duty. He's covering the middle of the field there. But, yeah, if the quarterback takes off, gets flushed, then he can close down on that. So I think that's a better option there. Pressure, but contain, may, don't let him hurt you in the open field. Number two, assignment football. We mentioned earlier about uh, this offense and about Chip Lindsey, a lot of window dressing. We've talked before about don't get lost in the wash. Uh, Clayton White likes to run a lot of mofo. When we talk about mofo, we're talking about middle of field open, meaning with a too high safety look, you've got a lot of times we come out and you're going to say, okay, we're, we're in cover two because we're in too high safety. If you really, really look at it closer, it's more quarters coverage, it's split field. So there's four deep guys back there leaving the middle of that field open. Another reason why that robber can come into play in addition to your linebackers covering that underneath in the middle, you can have a robber roll down. Clayton White is Houdini at disguising coverages. I think he does a phenomenal job of that, and I think it is, is the defense is very um, undersold on that and his ability to disguise coverage. So don't get lost in that. We primarily run quarters with the split field coverage. A lot of and that mofo. Correct me if I'm wrong. Clayton White is creative in his in his quarters coverage. There's four deep coverage. He's kind of like Nick Saban in the fact that they don't have set landmarks. Right. They have an area of the field, but they're only going as deep as the deepest man. As in, in, in a lot of cover fours, it's okay. Get 15 yards back, and that right. does create that space. But when it's quarters coverage the way we play it and the way Saban likes to play it, it's more of don't let the guy get over top of you, but you're not necessarily dropping to a landmark. You're simply going, I'm going to stay back. I'm going to give myself space, but I've got this area of the field. If I'm a DB or a cornerback, I may have sideline to ash or something like that, but I'm not dropping to 15 yards back automatically. I'm staying within the guy, right? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think if, if you can if you can teach your secondary to to understand those rules and understand what you're truly trying to do, it's a better way to play it because it gives them it's not as rigid as, you know, I don't care what's going on around me. I've got to run 15 yards here. No, it gives them a little bit more freedom and flexibility on there. So again, Lindsay loves a good bubble screen. I think South Carolina needs to use the experience and speed in the secondary to close on those screens quickly. Nick Emanwari is a, is a headhunter. He will knock your block off. And I think we've got to hit them hard and we've got to hit them early and often. People talk all the time about uh, playing to the echo of the whistle. Yeah, we need to play till that echo completely dies out, make them think twice about coming across the middle and getting planted again. I think our linebackers could benefit from taking a step back. Um, I don't remember who it was, but we've talked about this in past seasons. Some defenses, when they play teams that have a lot of window dressing like that, will just simply move their linebackers back a step, maybe 24, 30 inches, it allows them to see the offense better, to read and react. Honestly, if Chip Lindsey is smart, 
he will utilize a lot of 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. They've got the depth at tight end to pull that off as well. They've got two to three really good tight ends. Um, linebackers have to be sharp. Last year, running backs against this South Carolina defense consistently got to the second level of this defense. Once, once running backs get to the second level of the defense, that success rate of that play skyrockets once you get through that, that front four. Finally, and I feel like we can say this every game, but forced turnovers. This defense is is predicated on forcing turnovers, and they did a really good job of that last year. I think South Carolina needs at least one takeaway in this game. Yep. Drake May is very good with the football. He only threw seven picks last year. But South Carolina, because of that, needs to bring pressure early and often. Clayton White does like to gamble a little bit on second long third down. I think that will play just fine in this game. Um, force Drake May into throws that he does not want to make. So I think this game is, um, while while these games are usually won and lost in the trenches, I think the back seven, the linebackers, and the DBs, the safeties are going to get a whole lot of work in this game, and it's going to be a really good test for them. I'm really excited to see this, this back seven against this quote-unquote revamped UNC offense. I agree. And to, just to tag on, you you mentioned assignment football, and you mentioned also that this kind of came from the wing tee. The thing about playing the wing tee type of offense as a, against it as a defense, very much like playing the triple option. You have to play assignment football as a defender. You have to be in your gap. You have to be in your keys. You have to be in your responsibility. You have to be disciplined because you're going to see misdirection. You're going to see a, a, a running back coming across the quarterback to the left. QB is going to keep it come back to the right. So you've got to be smart. You've got to play smart. And I think we have the players to do that. The other thing to me, Thomas, is, yes, Drake May is a good runner. And he's a big kid. He's 6'4", 230. I just looked it up. But you and I both know there is a very big difference between taking a hit when a linebacker or a safety or a DB is coming off of their drop, like you're, they're dropping into coverage and you took off in blitz, or you took off on a scramble, I should say, then there is you have a designed QB run. You have a designed QB run, and you let Debo Williams come downhill and he's not coming out of a drop. He's not having to reverse his motion. I talked about momentum earlier. That hit hurts a lot more. Yeah. So I'm interested to see. Now, he's not a small kid. Again, 6'4", 230. But that's that's a big difference. That's a big difference. So it's interested to see what they're – and I, I, I could see him coughing up a ball in that situation. Yeah. Again, let a Debo Williams smack him. You know, like that's going to – the NFL – or excuse me, college football, NFL both, they're all about player safety. But this is still a violent game. Absolutely. Taking a shot on a four-stop drop that isn't coming off your back foot that's a whole lot different, Thomas. That's a whole lot different. So I'm interested to see that. Totally agree with everything you said there. All right, Thomas, let's switch into our outcomes and predictions. UNC is the favorite here by two and a half. Thomas, would you say, especially being a neutral field game, that feels like a pick em, right? Like, I mean, that's that's a, we, we don't really know what's going to happen from Vegas, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, less than a field goal here is pretty much a pick em. What's interesting to me the most here is the over-under on it is sitting at 64 and a half. So Vegas is looking for a shootout here, I think. Yeah, I think they are, absolutely. I don't think they trust either one of the defenses. Because like yeah. you said, as great as our 
as our DBs and our pass defense was last year at times, it, some of it's skewed by how bad the run the run defense is and or yeah. was. And when you look at this system and what you're talking about, what they're bringing, it, it, it's it's scary. I think we're better. I think we're a better defense talent wise, which is kind of crazy to think about with some transfers and whatnot. I think we're a better defense, but that is scary. All right. That being said, Thomas, I don't know. You know me, man. I love the Gamecocks. You do too. But I, I tend to fall for the preseason hype a little bit more than you do. Um, <laughs> I, and here's the thing. There's unknowns in this game. We've never seen D'Lo call a college game. We, we What's, what's Chizik's defense going to do? Is he going to magically fix this defense that was not very good? You mentioned Chip Lindsey. He had, he, you know, Drake May, he's never played in a system like this. Nah. What, what you know? What's that <laughs> going to do? Here's the thing. I say all that to say, I think the Gamecocks win this game, and I think it's it's you know to use my Lee Corso, it's by more than the experts think. I think the Gamecocks come out here by ten or more, and I'm not saying it's out of hand. I could see a seven point game going late into, or even a three point game late fourth quarter, but. You know, around the four-minute mark, something like that, the Gamecocks are able to get a score, if that is a touchdown or a field goal, to make it a two-score game and end up winning in that way, is my opinion. Of course, I choose to believe the Spencer Rattler we're going to see is the intense Tennessee quarterback, Clemson quarterback, even Notre Dame and Kentucky. Thomas, what are your thoughts going into this? Yeah, I think think, – this one's tough for me to call, and I've gone back and forth on this a lot because you, you make some good questions. Is is you know what what Rattler are we going to see? How bad are the growing pains going to be for D'Lo as our new offensive coordinator? Is the offensive line better than they're expected to be? There's a lot of questions going into this game. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a back and forth game. I don't think either team is going to have this game, quote unquote, in hand early at all. I think this game will go into the fourth quarter. Ultimately, I guess just because I'm a homer, I'm looking for a South Carolina win here, and I'm looking, I'm looking like a like a a 37-31, maybe a 34-28 type of game here. So you're thinking possibly the over, the over hits. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that over under is 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 pretty dead on. I mean, let's be honest, Vegas is right more often than they're wrong. Yeah, there, but, there's a reason um, those casinos are so big. Yeah, exactly. But but here here's my my bigger question for you to uh, to put a bow on this episode, and I always like doing this, particularly for the opening uh, for the opening game of the season. Who scores the first touchdown for South Carolina this weekend? Ooh, that is a very fun question. Um, okay, I'm going to do you one one better. I'm going to tell you who's going to score, and I'm going to tell you how. Ooh, I like it. I see Trey Knox getting our first touchdown and it's a 20-ish yard, 20, 30-yard bomb. He's gonna hit him on a he's gonna hit him on a Y cross. We're gonna set him up all game, short, 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 little double move, safeties jump up, Trey does the rest. Trey knocks for the first score for the game, Cox. Who do you have? Man, I, I went I went back and forth on this, and, and it's really easy to say, well, it's gonna be, you know, Dak Jorner on a two-yard run after we just crock pot him and, sure. and get down there. But sure. um I keep I keep 
going back to uh, Spencer Radler on a quarterback run. I'm not saying this will necessarily be a design quarterback run, but I think opening drive is going to be a nice long drive. There's going to be some stupid penalties. There's going to be some false starts, things that happen like that. But I think it's going to be a nice long drive, a good crock potting of that defense, if we will. And I think we get inside the five yard line and we're looking to hit one of those big tight ends. And I think Spencer's just going to say, screw it, tuck it, and walk into the end zone. So I think Spencer Rattler gets the first one for the Cox this weekend. Very reasonable. All right, we can't we can't leave quite yet. We have to talk about those boys from the upstate just briefly. They're going to take on the mighty Duke Blue Devils on Monday night at 8 p.m. It's in Durham. I think Dabo – have I read that Dabo was complaining – about the distance from the locker room to the sideline. Did I read that correctly? You did. What well, I mean, what does he not complain about at this point? That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my entire especially life. especially coming from the head coach uh, of the team that likes to line up and get on buses and take a couple drives around the right. stadium before the Correct. game. Correct. Correct. It's it, I just I don't I you know, I haven't looked at a whole lot of this game. I know Duke's not very good because Duke hasn't been very good for a while. And and you know, I, I'd love to see an upset here. But Clemson takes on the mighty blue devil, uh Duke Blue Devils. Does Duke still have their track around their football field? Uh I don't know. It's a good question. They did at one point. And yeah. I mean, no disrespect, Duke's a very fine uh academic university and obviously fantastic men's basketball, but uh, you know, football is not necessarily their thing. All right, guys, that was our first episode. We'll be able to get more into the nitty-gritty in the future because we'll have film to watch. We haven't seen what these th- what this team can do yet. Uh, so make sure and follow us on uh, all of your, your podcast networks. Make sure you go to uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're there. We're everywhere. Leave us a rating, a review. Subscribe to us. Make sure and do all those things. Check us out on social media. We have an Instagram and a Twitter account and a Facebook page. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at SAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan on both of those. If you go to Facebook, you can just simply go to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast uh, page to see our posts and things of that nature. Thomas, as we are heading out the door, tell the people anything you want to tell them. I want to tell the people that uh, in honor of our good friend, the late, great Bob Barker, be sure to have your pets spayed or neutered. RIP to Bob. I hope everybody enjoys a fantastic weekend. Get your meat early. Get the smoker going. Get those crispies cold with your ice from Lake Murray Ice. And let's have a great weekend. See ya. See ya.